So how, how you guys like the facilities so far? It's pretty nice. So we'll, Daniel and Haley and all those of you who had a part in finding this place is really nice. It's a little bit fancy for us, though. We're not used to fancy. So just take it in. This is the closest you'll ever get to Hillsong, okay, at MBT. So just be aware of that and enjoy it for what it is. Um, I'm really surprised that no one's playing. Yeah, there we go, playing with these lights. Um, but... Uh, no, this is great, and uh, I'm very excited about what God's going to do. That's the most important thing, and the fellowship that we have, and, uh, you know, another great thing about this retreat is um, people getting to know one another, uh, people you don't know very well getting closer to them. There's a lot of really great things about uh, getting together this way. And now, this retreat two years ago, some of you might not know, was the first thing I, I ever did with Kaya. The, idea it was Dan's Dan's little scheme was that there would kind of be this handshake at the fall retreat and he would preach the mornings and I would preach evenings and after it was over he would disappear forever and that's exactly what he's done isn't it like where is Dan you know what I mean um, we're actually working on trying to get Dan to come preach in Kaya in the next probably six months so we'll, we'll be able to see him hopefully real soon but um but that was a really big deal. And um, during that time, man, it was so it was difficult for me because I had to train my mind and fix my mind on what the Lord might have for Kaya. And, um, and so it was a time of envisioning. And, and so being in front of you and speaking, it was, it was like God just gave me a ton of liberty. And we got a, I got a lot of clarity. I don't know about you, but I got a lot of clarity just being in the pulpit in front of you at that retreat. And there was a lot of things that came out in the preaching that became the vision of our ministry. Um, and it was from that retreat that I recognized a few things. And one of the first things was that we needed to expand our Bible studies. And that we needed more Bible studies. At the time we had like six or seven Bible studies. And today we have something like 20, soon to be like maybe 21 or 22. And so in two years we've, we've quadrupled almost the number of, of Bible studies that we have. Uh, with the intent that we have more arms to reach out to our community so that we can evangelize, that we can share our faith. Um, another thing that we did is we made the Bible studies more evangelical. And so we went to the discovery method, and some people, like, gnashed their teeth about that um, uh, as though we were, like, abandoning the KJV or something. I don't, like, but we got over it, and we recognized that it's been very profitable and very fruitful approach to Bible study. And we're seeing people come to know Jesus Christ because they didn't know anything about the Bible, and we've created an environment where they're coming to learn the basics of God's Word, and even how to, before they're even saved sometimes, how to study the Bible. Um, we, we decided to get back to college campuses. And over the last couple years, we've worked our Bible studies back towards the college campuses uh, to have more influence there, to have more outreach. That's really begun to take off. We're already, after about, what has it been, six months, six months even? After about six months, we're ready to, to split uh, and divide the men's Bible study at UMKC, right? That's, that's God. That's God growing and, and being faithful to a very simple vision. So we're, like, I'm a simple man, okay? Um, I, I keep it simple. I know the will of God. God's will is that we, as a ministry, we reach the college campuses, and he's being faithful to us and blessing us in that. Um, we've spent more time praying, specifically for souls, um, that's been a huge thing that we've done. Um, now listen to me. 
The result of all of this has been salvations. It's been more people getting discipled. We're going to, uh, I think we uh, baptized nine people in Kaya last month. We're going we're gonna to baptize, I believe, six or seven tomorrow. And so people are obeying God. Um, so, and the ministry is uh, more than doubled in two years. Okay? Uh, that is not anything we've done. That's everything that God's done in simple faith. Simple faith. And I'm so grateful for it. So we're a part of something really big. And, um, and we can't take that for granted. Now, here's the deal, though, is that in that time, um, we've, we have grown rapidly. And what that means is a lot of you guys are what I would consider to be um, babes in Christ. Okay? And don't take offense to that. It's just that all of this is new. Right? So the discipleship thing might be new to you. Uh, a church that, that believes this particular doctrine set might be new to you. Bible study deep Bible study might be new to you and you're learning things and you're growing and this is a ministry just by its very nature college and young adults by its very nature we're a little bit young in our faith right even our leaders would admit that they're young in their faith right that's the nature of our ministry but right now well like two years ago we were a little bit I would consider us to be a little bit leadership heavy (laughs) that is definitely not the problem anymore right uh the, the issue at hand, the dilemma that we face is that with the growth comes a level of immaturity. And I want to be the first one to embrace that. Is everybody okay with embracing the fact that our ministry is a place of, of immaturity and we want to get to a place of maturity? Can everybody be in agreement with that? Yeah, just show me your hands if you're in agreement with that statement. Then you won't be offended as I come at your throat over the next hour. <laughs> So what I'm hoping from this weekend, and you know, it's great because Tony and I, the Spirit has, has really, like, what we're talking about, um, there's a lot of overlap, there's a lot of connection, that's something that the Holy Spirit did. But over the weekend, um, I believe that I have a fit word of instruction for you, and I want you to be encouraged. What we're going to be doing is calling you to a greater level of maturity. And so we're going to pose the question, what will we be? What will we be? Okay. And, and, and so the thing about what will we be, and that question is that as much as we know what God's will is, um, we have the capacity to define it however we want based on our personal decisions and actions. Each of us individually define what this ministry is by the way that we live and devote and surrender our lives. Right? So you individually affect the collective, affect what our ministry is, right? You are a part of what makes us who we are, and you determining to, to be who God wants you to be has everything to do with what we will be as a ministry. All right? Yeah? Talk to me. This room is big. I want to know that you're with me. Okay? So we're going to be in Philippians. I, uh, I started preaching Philippians in the high school ministry. And I got about through chapter 1 when they booted me, and I came here. And so I, I never got to finish Philippians, and I was a little bit jaded about that. Um, I mean, I even had these cool shirts made. Look at the shirt. Look at, stand up and wear, show us the shirt. Someone's wearing the shirt. I had these cool shirts made for the series. 
Isn't that cool? We need an axe shirt. Do we need an axe shirt? Because we're doing an axe series? They love the shirts, man. They love it. They eat, they, they're eating it up, man. Um, so we're going to be in Philippians this morning, and we're going to use it. There, there's, I, hope to, I hope to cover five different things. I think we're going to only get to four. We'll see. Four different things. Four different things that we need to consider uh, about who we're going to be. All right? So let's talk about Philippians. Philippians was written by Paul. And what we know about Philippians is that Timothy was looking over his shoulder while he was writing it. Isn't that beautiful? Uh, Philippians chapter 1 verse 1 says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. So Paul and Timothy are present as Paul writes this letter. And as you know from Acts 16 where we're at, Philippi was a city in Macedonia located on or near the northern coast of the Aegean Sea. All right? and, and it's a letter to a young church, a very young church. And it's a letter about, very practically, what it means to be the church. What does it mean to be a church together? What, is it, what are the objectives and what are the character qualities of a church? And that's what's being addressed in the letter. Um, so I'm titling this, Who Will, be, uh, Who Will We Be? And we're going to look at four different desires that God has for us. He wants to show us, from, this, from the, what we look at in this letter, four different things that we need to be. Okay? So, God's desire is to show us how to, next slide, abandon fear. Okay? I'm giving you all, I'm giving you all the answers up front. Okay? How to abandon fear, uh, to adore unity, to adore unity, we're going to spend a lot of time on that, to accept sacrifice, to accept it, and to assent to grace. In other words, intellectually acknowledge what grace means for our lives. So, you know, I use the A's to help us remember, but, but we'll be going over this today. To abandon fear, to adore unity, to accept sacrifice, and to assent to grace. The first thing that we're going to look at is timidity versus boldness. Timidity versus boldness. So let's look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. This is the first exhortation that Paul makes in his letter. It starts in verse 27 of chapter 1. It says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving for the faith of the gospel. Okay, so, man, that sounds good, right? That we would be with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. I think all of us would acknowledge that that is our primary objective, is to share the gospel with the lost world. And for many of us, we're all about that idea. We're all about that as an idea. Okay? We understand what the Bible says. We've been through discipleship. We understand the will of God. We get the Great Commission. And we say to ourselves, yes, our job and our responsibility is to share our faith through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a vision of grandeur, isn't it? It's our primary aspiration. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. How beautiful. And it's so grand in our mind, and it's so wonderful. But you know, the reality is that sharing your faith is hard. 
reality is that sharing your faith is not an easy thing. And Paul even acknowledges that here. Alright, so look at what he says. Striving together for the faith of the Gospel. And in nothing, terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God, for unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, okay, and now here to be in me. Now, I'm not going to get into all that, but Paul was the perfect example, as we looked at yesterday, of conflict in the mission. Right? The man gets beat down. We read about that last night. The dude repeatedly gets beat down. He is just constantly taking a physical whooping for the gospel. Now, apparently even in Philippi, right? It says in First uh, Thessalonians... Uh, that Paul was actually oppressed in Philippi himself, right? He talks about that in his letter to Thessalonica, is that Philippi was apparently a place of aggression towards the gospel. People were not in favor of it being preached. And so when he writes to the church in Philippi, he's telling them, look, you're going to be tempted to be not just afraid. He uses the word terrified. I don't like to be terrified. Some of y'all, some of y'all like to watch these movies. Okay? But let me explain to you. First of all, I want to go on a tangent and say that some of these movies that y'all watch, Alex, okay? These, these movies that are intended to terrify you are actually severing your conscience. And they're telling you that the value of the human body is nothing. When God says it's everything. And we wonder why we have so much problems in the church with a proper perspective on the human body. We live in a culture that is chosen to accept film. It's all about making the human being worthless. But it's clearly not to God. Whatever, that's a whole other thing. But look... What he says is that in Philippi, it can be terrifying to preach the gospel. It can be terrifying. This is not just opposition. This is terror. This is terror. So here's the question is, what terrifies you about preaching the gospel? Because many of us in here are terrified. We would use that word. It's terrifying to us to preach the gospel, and so we remain timid. And so my question is, what terrifies you about preaching the gospel on your campus, in your classroom, at your job, with your friends, with your family, when we hit the streets? What is it about it that terrifies you? You know, if most of us are honest, the thing that we fear about sharing our faith is not anything like what the Philippians were afraid of. Okay? Okay? But it's, there's a validity to it, so we're going to address it. All right? Most of us, most of us, our fear, the fear of sharing our faith is, is somewhat abstract. It's a feeling. It's an emotion. It's the feeling like, the, the, the feeling we get when people make negative comments about something that we post online. Has anybody ever had that happen to them? You post something online that's like, about and then like there's like a comment section below it just shows up you go back to check later on and like there are people like debating over whatever it is that you post right in that feeling you get in the pit of your stomach 
okay? I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to describe this fear, all right? You hear me? So it's a fear, it's like a fear of like not, not getting enough likes on a photo on Instagram. Right. There's this girl in, at school in, in Jaden's class. Wonderful person. I love her to death. Most anxious individual I've ever met in my entire life. Okay? If, if, uh, there's like a quota, a like quota. And if it doesn't get enough likes, she deletes the photo. Because she's afraid of not being liked. This is a real thing. This is, a real, this is why I'm addressing it. It's a real thing. Okay, or the feeling of sharing your opinions at cl- in class at school and being treated like you're an idiot. Or when a boss at your job tells you that you didn't do something right. You know how that feels, right? Or, or maybe the feeling you get when your ministry, ministry leader is disappointed in you. Has anybody ever felt like I was disappointed in them? <laughs> I want to know the answer to that. Maybe when a friend ignores you. You know that feeling? They're ignoring you? Okay, so roll all of those feelings up and then stuff them into your subconscious as you go and you preach the gospel. Those are the fears of this generation. They're not terrors that someone's going to beat you with stones. No, it's a much softer terror. Okay? It's a terror of not being accepted. It's the fear of not being accepted. And that is the greatest fear of this generation of Christians. And this is why this kind of fear has actually led us to be Laodicean. It's led us to be Laodicean. It's made us lukewarm. It's made us soft. It's made us terrified. And we fail to be effective. So brothers and sisters, the dilemma is that an innate part of being a Christian is rejection. It's innate built in. It's it's a cornerstone of our faith, if you will. Luke chapter 20, verse 17 says, the stone which the builders rejected, being Jesus Christ, is the same, the same as being, become the, the head of the corner. In other words, the church is built on a foundation whose cornerstone is called the rejected one. Like the entire church who you are, who you are as a Christian, is built upon a foundation that chooses to accept rejection as a fact, a fact of our identity. Look at what Jesus says to his disciples in John chapter 15, verse 18. If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Fact. Fact. to determine in our minds that we are willing to be hated and we are willing to face terror for the sake of the gospel. And even though we are potentially to be rejected by the world, we are accepted in the beloved. And that makes up for everything. That makes up for everything. I don't need to be accepted by every person I come in contact with the gospel, I don't need to be accepted. I don't need to be affirmed. My feelings don't need to be stroked and, and, and attended to. Because I have been accepted in the beloved. 
Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5 says, Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. Now, I was not adopted. Some of you in here may have been adopted. My brother-in-law was adopted. He has a family that he wouldn't have otherwise had. Adoption is a big deal. Jesus Christ adopted you. He adopted you. When you did not have a family, he brought you in. So listen, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. You know, in Philippians chapter 1, Paul makes this unique point that for those that oppress us, it is to them an evident token of perdition. What a, what a fancy little phrase that is, right? It's an evident token of perdition. Well, what does that mean? Listen to me. For those who reject you, the evident token, that means a sign. It's a sign of their perdition. It's, their, it's a sign of their wickedness. It's a sign of their destruction. It's a sign of their damnation. Their rejection of the gospel, their failure to receive, is a sign of their destruction. But to you, their rejection is a sign of your salvation and that you belong to God. You understand? That timidity and fear as it concerns sharing our faith is actually a failure to identify with the sufferings of Jesus Christ. And it is a rejection of the identity that Jesus Christ has extended to you through the cross. And it's a rejection of the rejected one. And yet many of us live a timid life. Now let me explain to you exactly what that means. There's many of you who want to share the gospel and in fact do. But you do so only when it's convenient to you. In other words, what you've done is you've established a philosophy of gospel ministry that does not put any discomfort on you whatsoever. You're not willing to step out on the precipice or enter into a conversation that may be in some way harmful to your ego. You avoid it at all costs. Now listen to me. The difference between a leader and a mature person and a weak person and an immature person is that the mature person actually doesn't have fear as it concerns what people think about them. And in so doing, they step out onto the precipice. They step out into a place where they're potentially going to be rejected on purpose. And in so doing, they familiarize them themselves with the fellowship of Christ's suffering. I wonder what it would be like if Kaya lived this way. I mean, we've seen some fruit. But if we were to actually familiarize ourselves and to embrace the fact that we are rejected the way Christ is rejected, then I think that, I think that God would honor that with greater blessing. I, again, I'm just a simple man. Here's key point number one. Kaya is only as strong as our personal decision 
to abandon fear. Kaya is only as strong, I'm talking about the collective now, this ministry, is only as strong as your personal decision to abandon fear. See, our ministry is a ministry devoted to the propagation of the gospel. This means that each of us need to consider our fears and reckon them before the Lord. We have to do that. All of us have insecurities. All of us have fears. They take on different forms. They take on different emotions. Some of us get anxious. Some of us get angry. Some of you in this room, when you get insecure, you actually get angry. And you get defensive. Some of us run. Some of us freeze. Some of us fight. They manifest themselves all different ways. It's all just fear. So here's our questions. This is on you right here. What insecurities stifle the preaching of the gospel in your life? You know. I can't address those. Okay? I can address them in general. But you have to ask yourself personally. What are the insecurities that you have that stifle the preaching of the gospel in your life? And the next question is, have you brought them out in the open? Have you declared them to someone? Have you confessed them before your Bible study? here's Here's a question. How often are you guys bringing your vulnerabilities into your Bible study? Or do you tuck them away and hide them so that no one sees them? What good is our Bible study If we hide our fears, if we hide the things that we're not, that we're struggling with, if we hide those things, what good is that Bible study to you? Have you confessed them before your Bible studies? Have you sought prayer to overcome them? And have you made decisions that contradict those fears? Okay? So, for instance, what I mean by that is being obedient by determining that you're going to do things that go exactly against your fear. The other day, Brady and I were talking about how, and actually Sam was there, we were talking about how I uh, am mm, afraid of tight spaces. Always have been, okay? Uh, when I was growing up, my younger brother was six foot three and almost 300 pounds. And I half of his size, we would often find ourselves wrestling. Okay? Now, but if he got on top of me and started smothering me, that was no good. That was no good. I wasn't winning that fight. Okay? Alright? And I, real quick, I got really afraid of tight spaces. And so, whenever we would come out to a place like this, to a camp retreat or whatever, whatever, all of the young people, the middle schoolers and the high schoolers, they would want to go into the caves. And I would be like, good luck with that. Right? I don't want to go to the caves. Okay, But there was a couple years ago, we were down here for a trip. There was the senior, the senior send-off retreat. It was a good time. And everybody, it was a real tight-knit group. It was like, there was like 15 of us. And everybody wanted to go into the caves. All the dudes were like beating their chests, and they were ready to go into the caves. And this was no, this was no normal cave. This was no Windermere cave. This was, no, this was not a cave for the faint of heart. This was a belly crawl cave, wasn't it? It was tight. 
Disney's not afraid of any kind of thing like that. I'm not saying he doesn't have fears, but things like that. Braden's not afraid of stuff like that, okay? So, so even he admitted at the time, I remember there was a little bit of anxiety, even with him. But you know what? I chose to do something that contradicted my fear. And in so doing, I can tell you right now, I'm not near as afraid of tight spaces. I'm not near as afraid. I'm not near as claustrophobic. And in fact, when I went on the India trip, this was God working things out. On the India trip, I got stuck in an elevator. Mariah, where you at? You remember this? Were you with us or did you go up the steps? Were you smart enough to go up the steps at Pradeep's apartment? You don't even remember it because you're not afraid of tight spaces. There was like five of us in an elevator. There was like the size of four of these pulpits. And we started to go up and the elevator just stopped. It was dark. It was tight. It was India, so it was stinky and hot. And so, where we are, and I said, Pretty, how long do we got it like this, man? He's like, oh, you know, I'm trying to do an Indian accent. Oh, an hour at the most. I wanted to just strangle him, man. I, it was so scary. Okay, but, 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 you know what? Because I'd had that experience, because I chose to contradict my fears, I actually got a hold of myself, and it wasn't, it wasn't that bad. And thank God, it was only like five minutes, and then the thing came, opened up and came back on. But every time we choose, in obedience, to contradict our fears, we begin to defeat fear in our life, and we come into a greater place of maturity. This is, this is just, this is how God built it in. We have to make decisions like Timothy. Timothy hadn't been, look, no matter how obedient he was, he couldn't have been stoked about the circumcision thing. You know, he wasn't doing fist pumps, okay? All right? But he chose to do it to contradict whatever fear might reside with him. He chose to do it anyway. Anyway. Paul could not have been stoked about getting beat down and drug out of the city. But you know what? He stood up and he contradicted those fears in obedience to God and walked back in. He had a purpose. And if you have a purpose and you choose to contradict your fears, there will be mighty power with you. Understand? Okay. Second point. Second point. Individuality versus commonality. If Kaya is going to be everything it needs to be, if we are going to have the character qualities that we need to have to be effective in our ministries, then we have to ask ourselves, are we an individual or do we have things common? Okay, let's talk about that. By individuality, I mean a divided mind.
basically my career as a teacher has been a study in what Instagram has done to a generation of people. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. I've actually got to watch how Instagram has impacted our culture. Now, not Instagram alone, but I'm just saying, it's had a huge impact. And the easiest way to describe it in the beginning, in like 2010, 2011, okay, I've been on it since then, so I'm with you, okay? The thing that I noticed is it was very much about being noticed and accepted. That's what Instagram was about. In the beginning, it was a lot about being noticed and accepted. But over time, Instagram has evolved to become more and more about individualizing, about having a voice that is different and distinct. Right? And we can talk about other things, too, like uh, YouTubers who have, you know, vlogs and they talk about nothing and the whole goal is to get viewership based on being unique and uh, having a, a unique identity on the internet now this is this has i'm being very philosophical here i apologize if you don't like that uh this has impacted our culture whether you like it or not it's affected us even if you're not you don't even have an instagram account you've you've rejected instagram good for you okay so high-minded and spiritual. Uh, but it's had an impact on you. And what I've noticed is that Instagram has become the premier space for personal branding. So what, Brandon? Big deal. No, listen. What I have noticed is that people more than ever want to be accepted, yet distinct. So they, they fight in order to be received by people, yet... They want to separate themselves by being unique. It's one of it's one of these things. You know what I'm talking about? See, we want unity. We want community. We want to be accepted. We want to be affirmed. And yet, and yet, we are so convinced that we have to be different than everyone else. I gotta have my own voice. It's so weird. Remember when, when we were young and, the, and the, the identity types, like the subcultures in a high school setting, was like, there was like five of them? <laughs> but what's happened is now, like, it's amazing. Like, like everybody's different. So, like, someone says, like, Hey, you, do you know Elena? No, I'm not sure if I know who Elena is. You, you know, you know the normcore girl? Oh, yeah, I know who Elena is. <laughs> you know the sweatshirt girl? The one that wears like all monotone, the sweatshirt girl? Oh, yeah, I know her. Yeah. But we all do it. We all do it. Oh, uh, Mr. Briscoe, I know I never had him. Who is he? Oh, he's the weird teacher with the beard. <laughs> have a thing. I have a thing. I have my identity, right? So I push that boundaries. I have a shtick at school. It's like it's like life is a giant performance or something. And I have my shtick to separate myself so that I don't look like all the other boring teachers. Well, I'll do it. Listen, listen. Here's the problem with that. Is that we spend so much time trying to be distinct. As Christians, as Christians, we're talking about the, the brethren. We spend so much time in our daily lives trying to be distinct that we bring that mindset into the church. 
we find ourselves not having a like mind. See, what happens is we compromise unity a little bit, just a little bit, in order to be distinct. Here's a question for you, and we'll, we'll break this down. What is more important to you? The unity of brethren or personal ambition? That's the question. What is more important to you? The unity of the brethren or personal ambition? And I have to say, there's nothing wrong with having a personal vision or God's plan for your life or a calling that's unique or specific. No one's talking about that. That has made unique, you unique. He's given you special gifts, and if you can submit those things and you can bring them into the unity, they're going to have great power. Okay? But they only function if you first determine that your primary objective is the unity of the brethren, having all things common, having all things common, having a like mind. That has to come first. Otherwise, your distinct differences actually have no meaning. They're a waste and they're a distraction. Does this make sense to you? Let's break this down a little bit. He, he, des- he describes like-mindedness as first being same. 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 Have you guys ever watched Arrested Development? You guys know this? That, same. Same. So funny. Sorry. A search of the word same in the New Testament is an interesting study. And what we learn is that we have a lot in common as Christians. A lot is the same. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, we speak the same thing, we have the same mind and same judgment. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 20, we have the same calling. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 3 and 4, we have the same spiritual meat and drink. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 6 and 8, we have the same spirit, same Lord, and same God. 1 Corinthians 12, 25, we have the same care for one another. 1 Corinthians 15, 39, we have the same flesh. 2 Corinthians 1, 6, we have the same sufferings. 2 Corinthians 4, 13, we have the same faith. Ephesians 3, 6, we have the same body, we share the same promises. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 22, we have the same purposes. Philippians chapter 2, 18, we have the same cause. Philippians chapter 3, verse 16, we walk the same rule. Hebrews 6, 11, we ought to have the same diligence. 1 Peter 4, 10, we have the same sharing of gifts. 1 Peter 4, 1, we have the same mind. 2 Peter 5, 9, we have the same afflictions. Revelation 3, 5, we have the same clean white raiment. We have a lot in common. We have a lot in common with each other. And we ought to have we ought to have the same love. We ought to have the same love. The word love here is agape, which some of you are familiar with. It's the charitable and affectionate type of love. It's the love that Christ extends to us. If we're supposed to have the same love, it it will be directed both to God through Christ Jesus and to the brethren through Christ Jesus. If we're going to have the same love, we're going to be directed towards God through the man Jesus Christ, who is the exemplary of love. And if we are to have the same love one toward another, it will come through Christ Jesus, who is the exemplary of love. So many of us are failing at this right now. 
forgotten our love for Christ and His Word, and so we fail to live in unity with the brethren. Listen, if your affections, your affections are set on self, self-approval, self-acceptance, self self-deprecation for some of you, self-importance, self-worth, self-confidence, then eventually your ego will rule you and you will forget Jesus Christ. And if you forget Jesus Christ, I am sure that you will forget the brethren that Jesus Christ died for. If your focus is on self, it is only a matter of time before you're distracted from who Jesus Christ is and in turn, you will fail to love the brethren the way you're supposed to. It's just a matter of time. to be in one accord. One accord is to be singular in agreement with others. That's what it means. So here's the question for you. What is it that we, as Kaya, as a ministry, have agreed to? What are the things that we've agreed to? What are the things that give us one accord? This is where, this is where you respond. Okay? You give me some feedback here. Name some things that we all kind of agree to. Worship. We take it very seriously, right? We've got an excellent worship team who prioritizes worship and leading us into the throne room. We prioritize worship. What else? Discipleship. Gosh, if anything, man, discipleship. Three quarters of our ministry is in a discipleship relationship, either teaching it or going through it. That's the majority of our ministry is devoted to discipleship. We, we, are, we are about that. What else are we about? Bible study. Bible study? Yes. Bible study? Super important. We prioritize it. We take it seriously. In fact, each little Bible study is a microcosm of this ministry and of our church. All right? We take that very seriously. It's where we get accountable. It's where we show each other love. We show each other affection. And we give vision on a small level. Yes. What else? Brotherly love. Okay, love towards one. I mean, that's what this message is about. So, yes. Yes, Bridget. Evangelism. Thank you for saying that. Evangelism. We believe in evangelism. We want to share the gospel. We take that seriously. We've seen, like, something since the school year started, we've seen something like four people come to Christ. Isn't that great? Almost every week I've heard a testimony of someone accepting Jesus Christ. We take evangelism seriously. Are we great at it? No. Does fear get in the way? Yes. But we do at least acknowledge in our minds intellectually that we value evangelism. And we're doing it. What else? Fellowship. Yes. Prayer. Yes. What's that? Being uh, present is super important to us. Yeah. I mean, especially for those of you who drove five hours to get here. Okay? Listen to me. All of these things are the things that make us have one accord. These are the things that make us have one accord. From day to day, we find ourselves distracted, though, don't we? We find ourselves distracted from this kind of work. It's part of life. We're not always going to find ourselves discipling, are we? Well, sometimes we're balancing our finances and we're not discipling. You don't need to weep about that. Right? Sometimes you're brushing your teeth, I hope. And you're not evangelizing because you're brushing your teeth. Right? I mean, there's going to be things in life that we've got to do, like you've got a job, you're going to have to do that job. Hopefully, if you're, if, if, 
God has blessed you, you're in a job where you can live out the things we just talked about, right? Where God has given you liberty. If not, think about another job. Right? We take ministry with us wherever we go, but sometimes we, we're making Excel spreadsheets. We're listening to a lecture in class. We're not constantly living ministry life. Okay? But here, here's the deal. We've got to be about it. We've got to be in one accord. We've got to continue to take those things incredibly seriously. And one of the strengths of the earliest church, studying Acts, one of the strengths of the earliest church is its singular agreement. Simple and singular. Focused. The word, the phrase, one accord is used 11 times in Acts. 11 times in Acts. Three times, it's the unity of the wicked coming up against them. Isn't that interesting? I want you to note something. The unity of the wicked did nothing to distract from the unity of the wise and the righteous. It did nothing. In fact, it only instigated. Okay? But the other times in Scripture, the other eight times, the church is in one accord, doing exactly what God asked them to do. They're about unity. The danger for us is that day-to-day, your lifestyle, your personal endeavors, they'll consistently begin to usurp the authority of Jesus Christ and distract from the unity. Okay, so like what I'm saying here is something very subtle. Okay, this is very subtle. Especially for those of us who love Jesus, are passionate about Jesus. We love our church. We love MBT. We love Kaya. We love it. Okay? But what happens is you start the semester. And then you have homework. And then you have a job. And then you have drama in your family. Then your boss asks you to do things that, that just seem overwhelming and you don't have time to do them. And there's a crisis of some sort. Or whatever it may be. Or maybe, maybe, maybe it's way more subtle than that. What happens is we get distracted. Mm, one day, two or three, we string a few together. Pretty soon we have a distracted month. And, and listen to me, I know some of you feel it right now. You've neglected your Bible study a little bit. Just a little bit. I've called in for ministry responsibilities. Discipleship hasn't been consistent. Whatever it might be. Whatever it might be. There'll be an excuse. And it starts like that. And you have a reason. And then pretty soon, it becomes a pattern. And suddenly, suddenly, you're not in one accord anymore. of us have built a lifestyle that is so self-important that like-mindedness is impossible. It's like you're trying to sing a solo when everyone else is trying to harmonize. You like that, Eric? That's for you. You're trying to sing a solo when everyone else is trying to harmonize. Now listen to me. I want, to, I want you to understand this. This is very important. The only thing that can break one accord is the accord of one. The only thing that can break one accord is the accord of one person. So in other words, the early church, they're unified, they're like-minded, they're standing in one accord on the doctrines of God's word with one singular ambition. 
happens is, what happens is, wicked men come in unity in one accord against them, and it does nothing. Nothing to distract them. The unity of the wicked does nothing. You know what has the danger of distracting them? Ananias and Sapphira. You know where the danger lies? It's one person who's supposed to be a part of the unity, who's supposed to be in one accord, chooses not to be, chooses to be distracted, chooses to put their career above the ministry, chooses to put their relationship with a boy or a girl ahead of what God's doing in their life, choosing to put their job, their paycheck ahead of discipleship, choosing not to be focused on worship, choosing not to be a part of ministry. That, that is what will break the accord. We're to have one mind. One mind. By one mind, we mean Christ's mind. My friends, very easy. Christ's mind, that's got to be our mind. Christ's mind is obtained through the study of God's Word. Period. So simple. I don't know, people who don't have a single authority, I don't know how they can proclaim that they are getting Christ's mind. I don't know how they do that. I don't know what their ambition is. I don't know how they seek that. I guess they're after Christ's thoughts, which is very abstract. I want his mind. I want my mind gone. I want his mind in. And that can only happen because I believe that I have a preserved word. Listen. One mind, one mind. Why is it that we so often find ourselves out of fellowship? Okay? Think for a second. We find ourselves out of fellowship and we blame it on circumstances or other people's failure to love us right. But we never consider that it might simply be the byproduct of not being in, in God's Word regularly. It's a very simple thought, okay? Simple man, simple thoughts, okay? Listen, listen. So many of us, so many of us, suddenly we feel frustration in ministry. Submission starts feeling harder. You know, maybe Satan puts a little divide between you and me. Submitting to me, submitting to your Bible study leaders, submitting to your discipleship leaders suddenly becomes just a little bit harder. Anybody ever, ever experienced that? You get that feeling in your heart? It's hard. It's hard to submit. Friendships seem distant. You know what I'm talking about? Friendships suddenly seem a little bit distant. I have increased anxiety as it concerns attending church and Bible study. So we, so we make little excuses because the anxiety is a little bit higher. We don't, we don't know what it'll be like, what it'll feel like to go to Bible study tonight. So I have a reason. With all of those th- feelings, with all of those things, why is it that we rarely consider whether or not there's a correlation between those feelings and our knowledge of God? We're so quick to blame it on, on people. We're so quick to blame it on the church. We're so quick to blame it on our Bible study leader. We're so quick to have an excuse for why we feel this way. You know, I didn't really like how, how Alex addressed that issue in front of everybody at the last Bible study. And I don't, when Sunday comes around and you don't talk to him at church, we ignore each other. We just kind of give each other the what's up. 
And there's something there. There's something in between. Right? Maybe, maybe it's you live with other Christians in your house. And you share a house or an apartment. And one day they did something. They, they didn't clean the dishes or whatever the crap you could be upset about. And you're frustrated about something physical and temporal. And suddenly there's a little bit of a division. A little bit. You feel frustrated. You feel anxious when you see that person. But rarely do we make the correlation between those feelings and our inability to be devotional in God's Word. Well, it couldn't be the fact that I'm, I'm not spending time in God's Word. Those feelings couldn't have anything to do with the fact that I have, it's been like three days since I've been in front of Jesus. Aren't we so dumb? When you start putting little things and making them big and taking little things too seriously, it has everything to do with the fact that you're not spending time with Jesus. Many of us have become so lazy as it concerns the study of God's Word that the mind that you're supposed to share with your brothers and sisters in Christ is impossible. You can't sing in harmony if you aren't singing from the same sheet of music. Think about that. Thanks. Thanks, brother. There's no way you can sing in harmony. If the lyrics on this screen and the lyrics on that screen are different, that's going to be bad news. Many of us are lazy, you know, and whatever. You know, this is not a young people thing. I used to think that this was a young people thing. I thought young people struggle with studying God's Word. You know what? This is, a, this is a Christian problem. This is a problem in Christianity. This is a problem with grown adults. This is a problem with 60-year-old men. This is a problem with 30-year-old women. This is a problem with 18-year-olds. This is a problem with 12-year-olds. We are lazy as it concerns the study of God's Word. And we can come and we can sit in an LFBI class and think that we're getting the many things of God and we're getting filled. And in the next two to three days, we don't spend any devotional time with the Lord, you freaking hypocrite. No wonder we're not like-minded. No wonder there's disunity. No wonder we're getting irritated so easily. So no wonder we feel distant. And we're slowly picking apart the church that God has established in Midtown. With your choices, with your decisions, to feel in my joy that you'd be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Key point, number two. Power is only as strong as our personal decision to adore unity. Adore it. Strive for it. Strive to have the same love. Strive to have the same accord. Strive to to be uh, of one mind. Strive for it. We didn't know this, but verse 2, you can build an army on verse 2. You can build an army on verse 2. So here's our our questions. Do you very simply share the same love with the brethren? Personal question. Abstract and broad. You've got to ask that, that question to yourself. Do you have the same love with the brethren? Is your love the same? Is it the same? 
Do you see the love that other brothers and sisters in Christ have? And do you have a hard time relating to it? Are your endeavors, your personal endeavors, your ambitions, your strivings, robbing God's people of your fellowship? Are you neglecting to assemble? Do you fail to go to Bible study? you have excuses for that? Everybody's got a reason every once in a while. I'm not talking about that. What does your heart say? What does your heart say? Are, you, are your endeavors robbing God's people of your fellowship? Lastly, is your failing devotion failing the family of God? Is your failing devotion to God's Word actually beginning to fail the fellowship and the unity that we have? Yeah, I'm telling you, it is. See, our personal decisions impact this. It impacts this. What we're doing. Who we are as a ministry. Our personal decisions impact that. And just like, just like Tony was saying yesterday, just like it, a body can survive without a finger. It ain't great. It ain't great. It's not preferable. It's not what we want. We can't function the way that we should without that finger, without that toe. Well, I'm, I'm for sure, I'm for sure, that finger, absent the body, dies and shrivels up. It's a waste. And so we as individuals have to determine to be a part of like-mindedness, that we might be made effective, that we might be made strong, that Kaya might be everything that it's supposed to be. And have the worship team come up. And we're going to... Can you do two or three songs? And in that time, we haven't covered everything, okay? Um, If what we talked about today has impacted you in some way at all, get somebody and let's pray about it. Grab somebody and pray about it. If Kyle is not an army, I don't really know what we are, okay? I don't know what we are. So these things are incredibly important. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. And we're so thankful for this time. We're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for teaching. Lord, forgive us for for being high-minded and puffed up. And fail to lower ourselves to the commonality of your church. That forgive us for so often failing to choose your church over ourselves. Lord, let us, let us abandon our non-conformity that we might be integrated fully into your body, that we might be made effective for your gospel. We believe in the local church. And the local church, that structure requires submission. It requires singleness of thought. And if in any way our lifestyles have come up against that, or corrupted it, or usurped it, or undermined it in any way, God, help us to seek forgiveness. And Lord, if anything, help us to double down on our, on our desire to not fear the world with the gospel. 
and not fail the church with this unity. Let's double down on that, Lord. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen.